Good morning. Uh, my name is Tim. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are caught in the middle of this huge two-week series uh, where we're looking to answer the question, why church? Why do we come to church? Why are we here? What are we for? What's the purpose? And we kind of do this each September. It's kind of what we do. It's sort of a reminder as everyone's making new schedules, as everyone's setting up and prioritizing time, even on a Sunday morning, to gather as God's people. Why do we do what we do? So even as we keep going, I want to begin this morning with a number for you. It's math morning at Community Church. (laughs) The number is 1.984127%. What does it refer to? Go. How many people go to church? Wrong. I'm sorry, say something else. How many people go to church on a regular basis? Nice qualification, still no. It's roughly 2%. What comes to mind when you say 2%? Milk. Cash back on groceries and gas on your credit card. No. I'll tell you. 2% of our conscious waking hours are spent as the gathered people of God. Right? If you, you can do math with me, perhaps. 90 minutes of a worship service we spend together. Right? I will give you all the benefit of the doubt and say you're also taking advantage of adult Sunday school. So we'll just give you credit for another 60 minutes there, just to be generous. That adds up to a whopping 150 minutes gathered as God's people. Now let's compare that to the six hours of sleep, which is also being generous. right? For those of you who have kids, you're like, oh, six hours, that'd be amazing. For those of you who have exams the next day, you're thinking, oh, that would be amazing. Or for those of you who have Netflix, you know, it's it's that too. But that leaves us with 18 hours of consciousness on average during the day, which is 1,080 minutes, which is, if you average that to roughly seven days in a week, that's a pretty standardized number there. Uh, We end up with 7,560 minutes, which when you compare the two and you figure out what the ratio is, we're looking at 1.984127, which is totally wrong with significant digits, but whatever, we'll just call it roughly just under 2%. You spend less than 2% of your waking hours as the gathered people of God. Last week, we looked at that 2% and said, why do we do it? Last week, we asked the question, why do we gather? We looked at Hebrews 10 for the answer. If you were here last week, you'll know we gather because we swerve. And that we are called to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And so we spur one another on and we encourage one another and we proclaim the love and glory of Jesus Christ when we gather. Together we hold unswervingly to this hope we profess because our God is faithful. And together we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess until Jesus returns. And until He returns, together we will not swerve. But that's just the 2%. What about the other 98% of our lives? What happens when we're outliving the other 98% of our conscious lives? Right? It is great that we have the opportunity to gather together as God's people. But what about when we leave this place? What about when we scatter? What does it mean to be the church 
when we scatter. Jesus has a little something to say about this. And it's a very familiar text. It's the Great Commission, if you're familiar with it. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And it's short enough that I will put it up on the screen for you, but I invite you to follow with me as I read. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you see the scatter? This is not Jesus gathering His people together and saying, now we're going to hang out, just us. And it's going to be awesome. We'll have this like group hug and we'll never let go. and We'll just all be together forever. But rather, there's this language of going. This is a command, not for the gathered church, but for the scattered church. This is a command, not for the 2% of our lives where we're gathered together, but for the 98% of our lives when we leave this place and we have to go to work and to our families and to our neighborhoods and we have to ask the question, wait, 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 wait. What does it mean to be the church when we're not together as the church? What does it mean to be the church when we're scattered across the city? And the command that we see represented in this text is that we are called to be making disciples. If you boil it all down to one thing, what is it that Jesus sends us, that Jesus scatters us in order to do? As you are going, He says, make disciples disciples I'm blind so as we look at this idea of making disciples and what it means to be the scattered church Jesus even breaks it down for us because making disciples what even is a disciple that's a church word we don't use it too often in today's culture every once in a while we do but the idea is simply a learner Right? Someone who is sitting at the feet of another or learning from another. An apprentice is a really good sort of parallel concept. Like a young carpenter might learn from a master carpenter who has like 30 years of experience. Or a medical resident learns from the chief of surgery. Or like a freshman might learn from the team captain. We gather at Jesus' feet because He is the master craftsman. He's the chief of heart surgery. He is the team captain. And He calls us, you and me, that when we scatter, we're to be making disciples. And He even breaks down what He means by when He says making disciples, which is really convenient for us. He says He breaks it down into two basic ideas. The first is this. He says as you're going to make disciples, the first thing you're going to do is baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So come with us next week after church. We're on it. And then he says, you've got to also continue by teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. See, when we take a look at this term like baptizing them, that's a representative term. I don't think he's interested in tally marks. How many people did you baptize this year? I I don't think he's interested in notches on his gun. Baptizing them is the end result of a process of introducing somebody to Jesus 
And when they finally meet him, like face to face, like really meet him, nothing is ever going to be the same again. And should they, in light of that information and in light of that encounter with Jesus, choose to follow him and give their lives to him? Well, baptism, biblically, is the appropriate response to that kind of a saving encounter with Jesus. It's the end result of a process by which people are introduced. They have a chance to hear the good news that Jesus came to this earth to show us who God is. That He died on the cross for our sins. That He rose again to show He had the power to conquer sin and death forever. And He's even coming back. And He's coming back to take us home to be with Him. That's some serious level good news. And when you understand that, and that God's love applies to you in that way, we throw you in an ocean. We baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is part of what it means to be the scattered church. It's to be out there part of this process of welcoming people, of introducing people to Jesus. But it's not just baptizing them, right? It's, it, that's actually paired very nicely with this idea of teaching them to obey Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So, Because having follow, chosen to follow Jesus, uh, I think it's human nature to be like, I checked the box on the application and I'm good to go. I can live how... I've, it, faith is fire insurance, right? I've put my trust in Jesus, so I'm not going to hell, so now I can live however the hell I want. That was inappropriate and I apologize. <laughs> but the idea there is that we are so easily um, distracted by this world around us. And we forget that there's an obedience side of this too. And so Jesus says, don't just go around baptizing. Don't just go around introducing people to me. You've also got to teach them to obey me. You've got to teach them to do it. And not out of some sort of obligation or moral guilt. But because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. The motivation for obedience is all about loving Jesus and wanting to delight his heart. And so having chosen to follow Jesus, the long and beautiful journey of increasing obedience is what he's talking about here. Obedience is that which we live out in the real world in the other 98% of the time. That's the call. That's the challenge. It's the invitation. It's what we do when we scatter. The portrait of a church when they are scattered is this baptizing and teaching. It's the sharing the good news about Jesus, welcoming people into relationship with Him, and then continuing to invest and invest and invest and to grow an entire generation of people who are captivated by the love and grace of Jesus. That's the picture of a church when it is scattered. Let me try and diagram that out because that's what I do. Uh, here's a timeline. This is one way that I've often seen it, whether it's in books about discipleship or whether it's in, in books about sharing the gospel or just a framework for understanding the Christian life. Uh, on the one end of this picture, it's sort of like a continuum or a number line or something like that. On one hand is the I've never even heard of Jesus people. And on the other end, you've got the Jesus came back and we finally get to be with him face to face. That's how well we know him. And somewhere in the middle, whoosh, arbitrarily, we'll put it in the middle, is this moment of decision. The choice to follow Jesus. And so if you were 
following along that great commission, Jesus addresses the spectrum by saying, you know, on, on the left side of that decision, that's the journey of inviting people to consider who Jesus is, to meet Him, to spend time with Him, and to realize He, he actually saves us. The end result of which is baptism, that decision to follow Jesus and baptism. So on the one side is that call to baptize them, a process that ends with baptism. And on the other side is the... T- now, now we've got to teach them to continue, to obey. I don't like this. While I do clearly see Jesus' words reflected here, I don't think this is wrong. I just don't think it's necessarily the most helpful way of thinking about this journey of faith we are on. I think there's a better and more biblical way, or at least a more accurate way. Because oftentimes we think of it in terms of these terms. Like, on this side is evangelism, on that side is discipleship. And you see, already we've sort of minimized what discipleship is. Jesus said, make disciples by baptizing and teaching. And now for some reason, evangelism is this other thing. It becomes that thing we do to people. Want to go evangelize someone with me? I really hope when you hear that question, your answer is, oh dear God, no. (laughs) And then discipleship is now only reserved for those who have already chosen to follow Jesus. And we've already broken out of the biblical categories, and now we're framing this from the human experience category, and I'm just not sure that's the best way of thinking about it. And the reason we do this is because I think for the last 52,000 years, we've gotten really excited about this stage of the journey. From 49 to 50, when someone gets it, right? When they've met Jesus and they finally understand, they're like, I can confess my sins to a holy God. I can be forgiven of my sins before this holy God. Jesus died for me that I might live and now I can know this holy God. I choose to follow Jesus. 49 to 50. And we say, oh, our mission trip was successful. Because someone went from 49 to 50. Oh, it was great because as I was witnessing on campus, somebody made a decision to follow Jesus. I can get in a lot of trouble for making this sound like it's bad. It's really, really good when this happens. And yet, when we focus on that as being what the whole evangelism process is about, we've lost sight of discipleship as the command of Jesus. Making disciples as more, oh my word, it is so much more than 49 to 50. And these ideas of evangelism and discipleship, they're not actually two separate ideas. As Jesus presents them, they're one, right? Let's, let's crumble that one off and get that out of the way. And let's crumble this one off and get that out of the way. Because what we're really talking about here is one single process that Jesus defines as making disciples. See, the problem with being so focused on this 49 to 50, well, I propose three problems. Problem number one, it actually diminishes the value of human beings. When we are so focused on that 49 to 50 moment, we tend to treat people like projects. We tend to try and convert people. We tend to try and argue them or persuade them or even manipulate them emotionally with really good music. There's something 
I believe, that is deeply flawed about a conversion-centered approach to discipleship. Because it dehumanizes. And it doesn't confer the very dignity that God has conferred by creating humanity in His image. So I think the first thing we've got to warn ourselves about if we slip into this this 49 to 50 model of what we think discipleship is about, it's that it can actually diminish the value of people. I think secondly, it diminishes every other step of the discipleship journey. What do I mean by that? Well, that's a really important step, but what about the step that's way back here? Was that less important? Right, the idea of treating our neighbors as valuable, loving them well, being interested in their story, listening to their heart, finding out where their hurt is, finding out where their joy is, and just generally not being a jerk goes a long way to moving people closer to Jesus. Maybe by interacting with you as their neighbor who goes out of your way to serve them, to bring them a meal when you hear that something's going on in their life, to pitch in in a good New England winter snowstorm, to come by when they experience tremendous loss and just be present with them. Maybe out of something like that, they might realize that not all Christians are angry. Maybe they'll realize that not all Christians are judgmental. Maybe they'll realize that not all Christians are bigots, just the ones that get the headlines are. And maybe they might realize there's one or two Christians who are actually kind and compassionate and principled and have integrity, who are passionate but who are also interested in them and their life, even if they don't agree with everything we believe. I think that is a huge step for someone to move from like spitting Christians out of their mouth to being like, well, at least there's one that's tolerable. And I think that's discipleship. I'm arguing Jesus thinks that's discipleship. Who cares what I think? So you can invite your friends to a coastal cleanup on the front lawn. Because yes, we do believe we are called to care for the creation. We are stewards of this planet that God has given us. And we do want to serve and love our city and seek the peace of the city. Yes. But we're also looking for ways that we can welcome the unbelieving world to get just a little bit closer to Jesus in a completely non-threatening way. It's a front lawn. They don't even have to come in the building. And then we send them out to the beaches. And they're stuck walking on beaches in 78 degrees on a sunny day. With a Christian. (laughs) Well, you can't have everything. So invite your neighbors and your friends to a harvest party. But don't just say you should come. You say, come with my family and let's hang out together and let's do the games together. And introduce them to all kinds of great people and even the weird ones. And, and just recognize the church is going to be this weird, awkward place. But it might actually move them a little bit closer to Jesus. And they might go from, I would never step foot in that church to, well, the front lawn wasn't too bad. There's a typo on the bell, but we're not going to really hold that against them. <laughs> and maybe they'll make it all the way to the back parking lot one day at the harvest party. Maybe they'll even show up and sing Christmas carols with us at Cookies and Carols. Maybe they'll even get to the place where you can invite them to come with you to church during Advent where all we do is tell stories. They're not even going to get preached at. And maybe 
you just might be the catalyst in someone's life to just keep inviting them, to keep inviting them so that they can move just one little bit closer to Jesus. And I'm convinced that that's discipleship. And it doesn't have to be church stuff either. Just invite them over for dinner. Go play at the playground. Enjoy the people that God has put in your life. And even be willing to talk about things that actually matter. Not to convert them. For the love of God, no. But to love them. And to offer them the chance to show them a possible path through which they can actually get one step closer to Jesus. Because if they can't do it through Christians, how are they going to find them? If the church is not active in welcoming people and walking alongside an unbelieving world, where are they going to turn to find the love of Christ for them. We are not selling a religion here, people. You know this by now, right? We're not trying to win converts. All we want is for people to meet Jesus. Because they, once they meet Him, nothing's ever the same again. It's like having your best friend from growing up move into the area and you know how awesome they are and you can't wait so you're like take them to all the dinner parties and stuff and you make all the introductions. This is my good friend. Oh, I can't. You're going to love. Oh, you guys are going to get along so well. Like there's a, we're not selling a religion and we're not converting people. We're making introductions. We're introducing people to our friend with a capital F and saying, I can't wait for you to meet him. At the heart of what we do when we are called to make disciples, at the heart of that, is not a task. It's not an action that is performed upon an unsuspecting victim. It's a relationship. And it's the offer of healing and wholeness and meaning and joy to a really broken, hurting world. When we get too focused on the decision model the conversion model of discipleship. I think it diminishes the value of human beings. I think it diminishes the journey of discipleship that Jesus had in mind. And realizing that there's all kinds of different places that people might be on that journey. It might even include somebody over here. Don't forget that's discipleship too. As we, you and I, on the other side of a decision perhaps, but we're still, what are we trying to do? We're trying to move closer to Jesus. We're trying to get to know Him better. We're trying to look more like Him. We're trying to see His character and His nature at work in our lives. We're trying to tune into what the Holy Spirit is doing as that Spirit dwells within us. And every once in a while, this is even a valuable step. The 49 to 50. And the angels rejoice, and so should we. I'm really not trying to pit these against each other. I'm just saying that the former is a very limited view, and we need to expand our horizons and see discipleship as the entire spectrum of what God is doing. It is not just doing this, because that diminishes the value of true, holistic discipleship. When Jesus says, make disciples, He's talking about the whole thing. All of it. And so that's why I don't like the words evangelism and discipleship because I think the whole thing is making disciples according to Jesus. He's saying baptizing them and teaching them to obey or one might say in the Bushfield paraphrase version, introducing people to Jesus 
and helping them grow in Him. This is discipleship. That's not so bad. As a church, we are so privileged that we can come together and gather. And we can worship. And we can encourage one another. We can spur one another on. Because we want to obey Christ. We want to delight His heart. But most of life is lived out there. 98% of life, actually, is lived out there. A mere 2% is when we are gathered. So when we scatter, what are we called to do? We are called to make disciples. And if I was to try and boil that down in a holistic approach that I believe is consistent with what Jesus is teaching in the Great Commission, you might say it this way, we are to be moving people just one step closer to Jesus. Every step is important. No two people are on the same journey. But this is our calling. This is our commission. This is our, the, the very thing that we've been asked and commanded by Jesus to do. We are to gather and we are to scatter. And we're not scattering so that we can go out there and save people. We're not scattered so we can go out and convert people. And we're not scattered so we can go out and force people to go from 49 to 50. We're to go out there and to value people and to treat them with dignity and we're to listen well. We're to partner with the Holy Spirit to move people one step closer to Jesus wherever they are in their journey towards Him. This is our mission as we scatter. But I don't know how to do that. How do you get there from here? Maybe I'm decidedly uncomfortable having real conversations with people because when you start talking about things that matter, they go to all those topics you're not supposed to talk about. You know, politics, religion. How do you go there with people? Or maybe you're saying, I would even love the chance to walk with someone and explore who Jesus is, but how do you even do that? I grew up in a discipleship culture, I think, uh, especially at at university as part of Campus Crusade for Christ and InterVarsity. And they're very big on the whole one-on-one discipleship, like you meet with someone and and there's a a more mature Christian who meets with a younger Christian and and they meet like every week, have a cup of coffee. It never really worked for me. And then when I tried to do it, I didn't even know what to do. Like, what? So we're going to get, for, get together with coffee every week. All right. So, how are you doing? Like, what, what do you do in a discipleship relationship? How do you come alongside someone and move closer to Jesus together? Well, I actually think Jesus addresses this too. And I think it's actually a delightfully surprising answer. Here's a hint. It's not based on methodology. If we go back to the text, the frame of the whole commission gives us the answer. Where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, I am the master craftsman. I am the chief 
surgery. I am the team captain. I am the one you are following, he says. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It says, and I'm going to be right by your side, he says. I am present with you. You are my apprentice. You are my learner. You are my disciple. When we talk about it, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying a lot of other things here too. There's a lot about authority, there's a lot about divine presence. I'm not saying this is all he's saying. But don't miss that he is saying this, that making disciples is the overflow of being a disciple. Of having a master in the Lord Jesus Christ who's present with us. And the more time we spend with him, the more we are being disciples, the more natural it will become to make them. That's not a hypothesis. That's Scripture. The more that we come to the feet of Jesus, the more that we join our hearts together in relationships to pursue Christ together, the more, not, the, more the Holy Spirit is going to be at work in us. It's just going to become second nature to us to be willing to go there. Being a disciple, pursuing discipleship in our own lives and in our life together as a church, this frees us to have a vocabulary, a rhythm, a a heart that is tuned to the things of God so that when we're interacting with other people in this unbelieving world around us, it is not awkward or foreign to talk about the things of God. We do it all the time because we are disciples too. If I was to try and sum up, you might know that our vision for Community Church is that we are making disciples for the glory of Christ and the good of the city. But if we get super specific about that, because that's still pretty vague, like, okay, making disciples, glory of Christ, good of the city, that sounds good. What does that look like? One might articulate an actual sort of measurable objective goal for this year for our church to be something like this. We desire, and actually, Jake, you totally stole my thunder because you said it in the announcements. Um, Our desire would be for every person who calls Community Church home to be in some kind of intentional relationship that is focused on growing closer to Jesus. That we stop seeing church as the 2%. And we start viewing being the church as the 98%. Oh, let's just go all the way to 100 Life together in discipleship relationships. If we join our lives in some kind of intentional relationship with another person, whether that's sort of one-on-one and you meet for coffee before work, whether it's two or three of you that can get together because that's the only time that works, whether it's a small group, whether it's a ministry team or or even the adult Sunday school class, right? These, These are opportunities that we have for this very thing. That if you're calling Community Church home, if you're saying, I want to follow Jesus together with all of y'all, then we, it is our hope that every person here would be in some kind of an intentional relationship with another person at Community Church whose focus of that relationship is growing closer to Jesus. And even then, though, you might say, but I still don't know how. I've tried, and it was super awkward. We did that meet for coffee and we had no idea what to talk about. And we tried reading the Bible together and it was sort of a, whoa, that was interesting. What do you think it means? I don't know. What do you think it means? I don't know. 
Like, there's still the question that remains, how do we do it? Well, as a church, I think it's kind of our job to help with that. So I would like to introduce to you this morning a new resource being provided for discipleship at Community Church. And I use my infomercial voice almost on purpose. We actually believe that we as a church should be providing resources to help with this. And so we've even revamped the preaching team a little bit that this is a team of people that is not just going to work collaboratively to help improve the quality of preaching here, but this team is going to be leveraged to actually facilitate discipleship. And we're introducing or uh, reintroducing a resource that we're calling Going Deeper. And what we are intending to do is to provide a weekly resource that is based on the text from the Sermon on Sunday that functions as a catalyst. Something that accelerates a reaction. Discussion questions, questions for reflection, questions that take this from just be a sermon to which you just nodded and smiled or inwardly shook your head. And requires, invites you to engage with it, to ask the question, yeah, but what does that mean in my life? And as I try to implement it, it's really hard, and can I meet with someone to pray together so that we can actually put this stuff into practice? We're building a resource, and it will be a weekly guide for the week starting Sunday, September 23rd. And the whole concept behind it is this, that, that there will be for any given day, look, there's morning and there's evening. The idea is that we will present a question that is based on what's been presented on Sunday for you to wrestle with, to chew on, to go deeper with. But not just so you can have your quiet time and check the box at the beginning of the day, but rather it's a question that opens your day with the Lord Jesus and a question you carry with you through the day. The question will end with some kind of language like, be thinking about this as you go through your day so that when the little sunshine turns into the moon and star and it's evening and you're heading to bed, you take a few minutes to reflect on that question again and say, now how did I notice God at work in my life in that way today? We're not trying to get you all to check the quiet time box. What we are trying to do is to encourage you all to live every day aware of the very presence of Christ with you. And that through that, through engaging with what we teach and through engaging with one another, you might actually be changed. If church is just the 2%, you can get away without being changed. You can come, you can sing, you can put up with me, and then you can leave. But if church includes not just that 2%, but the full 98, if church is not just when we gather, but when we scatter, and if discipleship is the whole process of everybody moving one step closer to Jesus, we want to provide some tools that help with that. And so we're going to provide it for Monday, Tuesday. Look, we'll even do Wednesday and Thursday. We'll even do Friday, and as a bonus, we'll throw in a weekly review. You can even do that on Saturday if you want. You can do some of them. You can do one of them. You can do none of them. This is not mandatory. But the idea is that on each weekly basis, we are providing tools that you can use that will help us grow together. You, you'll be able to sign up for this as a daily email if you want. And at 4 a.m. it will hit your inbox. Yes, Katie comes in at 4 a.m. and she will hit send. No. 
we have technology. But if, if getting it all at once is just like, I don't want it all at once. I just want it one piece at a time. Give me enough for today. That's all I can handle. Great. It'll show up in your inbox. Or if you're like doing it for a small group or something, you can get the whole thing all at once. You can download it right off the website. Or if I was really to tip my hand, I might say you can just access it through our church app, which hopefully we'll be unleashing upon you next week. Who technology? <laughs> There's even an Android version. So the whole point here, though, is that, yes, we're going to be providing resources so that you can actually use them for your personal devotions if you want to. If nothing else, we want to help you go deeper with Jesus. But maybe if you're doing that for your personal devotions and other people in the church are doing it, then you actually have a common ground for conversation when you do see each other on Sunday. And you're like, Thursday's question rocked my world. Like, what did you think of that? Instead of, wow, how many wins do the Red Sox have? It's not that the Red Sox are of the devil. There are just more important things in this world that we can be talking about. But you could use it also in groups of two or three. Like if you are meeting before work to pray with some guys or pray with some other women who are going off to work or maybe the, the guys are staying home so the women can actually get out and see something. And You can use this kind of a resource for that context. Or you can use it for small groups. A number of small groups are already intending to do this. You can do it for adult Sunday school. Susan Joel, as they're setting up Sunday school, be using some, this as part of the resources that they're doing there. Even ministry teams. Man, how often do we fall into the trap of just doing what we're supposed to do? And we forget that we're actually sharing life together. We serve together, but we forget to ask each other, how are you actually doing in Christ? How's Jesus? When was the last time you hung out? What are you learning? What is God teaching you? Or what about Tuesday's question? Providing a vocabulary for bringing connections and the intentionality of doing life together with Jesus, I'm kind of excited. Because we want every person at Community Church to be in some kind of intentional relationship where they are focused on growing closer to Jesus together. And the reason for this is even bigger than your own personal benefit. This will benefit you. If the questions are any good. We'll try. But even more than it being good for you, is that it's obedient to Christ. And it contributes to His glory in the world as our lives are changed. We know the church isn't actually about us. We're not consumers. We're disciples. And we choose to pursue discipleship together. And we know discipleship is this whole spectrum, right? It's not evangelism and discipleship. It's all making disciples. And we know the best way to make disciples is to allow it to be the overflow of being a disciple. And that's not just when we gather it's also when we scatter. But even that scattering doesn't really look right. Let me mess with the scattering. There we go. Now we're scattered. Because we're scattered together. Chasing after Jesus in intentional relationships focused on Him. It turns out that this is actually the rhythm of church. You could actually get whiplash a little bit. Right? Like every week. Oh, hey, let's gather for church. Yeah, let's just, now we're scattered. Oh, now we're even more scattered. And I chose the wrong slides to go back and forth between. Look at that. 
I'm just like doing bad scattering and good scattering, bad scattering and good scattering, bad scattering and good scattering. <laughs> that was not intentional. So we'll just move on from those slides. No, it means that the, re- the rhythm of life together means we gather so that we can worship our guts out. And then we scatter to make disciples together. This is our rhythm. This is the 2% and the 98%, and together all of life belongs to Jesus. And in this way, we learn more and more each day what it actually means to be the church. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I'm surprisingly frustrated by those wrong slides at the end. Because I want so badly for our church to embrace this whole, the the constancy of all of life lived aware of your presence with us, being shaped and being captivated by, by knowing you and by growing closer to you and serving you and obeying you as our master and our Lord and our King and having the chance to share that and allow that to overflow into lives around us. It's such a good idea. Thank you for setting up the world this way. Thank you for setting up your church this way. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of it. Father, I ask that you would give us the courage to try something new this fall. For some of us, like, yeah, no problem, I'll do this. Other of us are saying, yeah, the last time I did this, I got hurt. Or the last time I did this, I felt judged. Or the last time I felt I did this, it, it didn't go well. The personalities clashed. Or I... This whole thing is fraught with all kinds of danger. But you're the God of the universe. You're bigger than any danger we might face. And so I ask for the courage to try again. Or maybe to try for the first time. And whether that's just sending an email to Jake at small groups at eastgloucester.org, whether it's actually praying and saying, God, who should I approach if I wanted to get together with someone and see if they want to meet each week to talk and to pray and to grow closer together with you so that our lives might overflow into an unbelieving world. We want to be a church that is making disciples because we're being disciples. So we ask that your will would be done in our character, in our behavior, in our life together as a church. May we reflect your glory and reflect your glory accurately based on your heart, Lord Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen.